Hey there, Hit Parade listeners. What you're about to hear is a preview of our latest episode of The Bridge. As we announced recently, Slate is getting hit pretty hard by what's going on with the economy in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. We need your help to continue producing this show and all the other work we do at Slate. So we're asking you to sign up for Slate Plus, our membership program. It's just $35 for the first year, and it helps support us at this crucial moment. Sign up at slate.com slash hitparadeplus, and you'll get to hear this and every episode of Hit Parade in full. That's slate.com slash hitparadeplus. Thanks. And now, your episode preview. Hey everybody, this is Chris Melanthi, host of Hit Parade, Slate's podcast of pop chart history. Welcome to The Bridge. That's Me, a song by Paula Cole from her 1996 album This Fire. In the lyrics, Cole sings about crossing a bridge into self-acceptance and self-love. Cole performed Me as a main stage act at Lilith Fair in 1997 and 98. The all-woman touring festival helped raise her profile as a hitmaker. Issued as the third radio single from Cole's album, Me reached the top 40 on Billboard's Radio Songs chart in the spring of 1998. And these mini-episodes bridge our full-length monthly episodes, give us a chance to catch up with listeners, and enjoy some Hit Parade trivia. This month, I am delighted to have two very special guests, an esteemed writer and an old friend of the show. Let's talk to our writer guest first. Jessica Hopper is an acclaimed critic whose work has spanned more than two decades and a range of publications, including Rolling Stone, The New York Times Magazine, GQ, The Guardian, Elle, and Book Forum. She was a longtime contributor to the Chicago Reader and a columnist for The Village Voice, Chicago Tribune, and Punk Planet, as well as the music consultant for This American Life for eight years. Her books include The Girl's Guide to Rocking, the first collection of criticism by a living female rock critic, and Night Moves. Her deeply researched September 2019 piece for Vanity Fair, Building a Mystery, an oral history of Lilith Fair, in Informed and helped inspire my latest episode of Hit Parade. Jessica Hopper, welcome to The Bridge. Thank you for having me, Chris. I'm happy to be with you. And thank you again for um, having me participate in your very comprehensive Vanity Fair piece on this subject last fall. I think we talked last summer at this time. And it was, uh, it was a lot of fun reminiscing about Lilith Fair. And the crux of your piece was that Lilith was a big deal in its day. Um, it was the top-grossing touring festival in its first year. You even called it visionary. So what do you think made Lilith exceptional, and, and what made it work for its time? I think there were a few things that really contributed to its success. You know, first and foremost, they really put together 
uh, a bill that, you know, they kind of, they kind of moneyballed it. You know, if, if people are familiar with that, where, you know, they got together um, and, and did actually quite a bit of research about, you know, who in this, what artist in this city, this market could draw, you know, 7,000 people, who could do 20,000 people, who could do five. And and when you look at these bills, they're, they're really quite stacked, mm-hmm. where it wasn't that that these artists were going to be drawing, you know, that Amy Mann and Sean Colvin and Lisa Loeb and, and Sarah were all going to be drawing, you know, the exact same audience, that there really was this idea that if they could get all these different artists that had um, fan bases that maybe overlapped, but weren't exactly the same, and they made the bill really strong, that they could get folks. And, and they did. You know, I think another reason that it was successful was that these audiences were really, in some ways, fairly desperate to connect with a community around around these artists. And some of these artists had only been able to kind of tour and play venues up to a certain point. But even though they were, you know, their sales and and uh, and their audience would have justified bigger venues. Um, because they got to a certain point and, and they really faced, there was, there was definitely a, a ceiling around what sort of a venue, uh, a larger, um, women artist could get into, you know, namely Sheryl Crow, who was one of the headliners. It's called Every Day is a Winding Road. And then I think, I think there was kind of, uh, maybe under this that they only really discovered once Lilith, um, came to be a, a great success. And, and I know this from interviewing um, quite a few people who were, were audience members as, as part of the oral history and the research for it, was that people wanted to go to a festival. And when I say people, I mean primarily women and young women. They wanted to go to a festival. They wanted to go to a concert. And those spaces fundamentally didn't feel very safe to them and they thought they would be safe at Lilith, and they were. And so because of that, um, the, the feeling of Lilith, I think for, that for some people who went, it did feel like a safe space, um, it really, really made them want to go back. And I think that really set up years two and three. Thanks for listening to this episode preview. To listen to the full Hit Parade episode, please go to slate.com slash hitparadeplus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C., on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice. 
all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.